Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we're committed to helping people and Nordics tech organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I'm Georgia Benton from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Matthias Altin, who's the Chief Product Owner and Deputy CEO at Hubs. I have Chris Tordian, who's Lead Product Manager at Lead Liminal Discovery. I have Mies Mandoki Cirillo, who's the Head of Development at Garrison Consulting. And I have Jonas Wenzel, who's Software Engineering Manager at Hojud Group, to discuss building a tech dream team. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, what your biggest passion is currently. Matthias, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. I, um... I'm at Hubs, uh, a new startup that we uh, I do together with Henrik Kniber and Niklas Modig. We work on uh, transforming organizations. Uh, previous to this, I was at Volvo Cars, and uh, before that, I was at Spotify. And before that, I was in London for 18 years working in finance. Uh, my biggest passion right now is to get this new team we have at Hubs going. We call it Hubs 2.0. We're doing a reset uh, after three years, and coming in this phase is really exciting. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And Chris, do you want to go ahead and tell us about yourself? Sure. Uh, lead product, product manager at Liminal Discovery. Uh, so I lead uh, our team uh, developing services and products for our customers. We are currently based in Barcelona. We have a team in London and in Lisbon. And um, my history, um, I have a background as a software developer. Uh, but that kind of turned out quite quickly, leading teams, uh, developers and UX people. Um, so my career, through my career, I have been having uh, consumer-facing uh, applications and uh, enterprise-facing applications, which I think uh, makes me um, quite comfortable uh, managing those questions. Um, also founded my own company, co-founded my own company, uh, which was three years later acquired by TechStep.io which was quite of a journey, which I, yes. And what I'm passionate about is right now, I um, cannot stop being amazed over what's happening with AI right now and uh, on the different use cases that's constantly surfacing. Amazing, thank you, Chris. And Mies, do you wanna tell us about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Mies. Uh, I'm currently working as head of development at Garrison Consulting. So we do we make in-house projects like systems and web applications and uh, native applications. Um, uh, in my background, I've been uh, been a software developer first and foremost. I've been doing a lot of full-stack JavaScript backend, frontend, you name it. But for the past uh, five years ish i've been uh, working in different leadership positions so uh, among other things i was a full stack javascript instructor at something called salt which was a boot camp where i mentored a total of 200 something software engineers that are now out working at companies or, or at all the companies in stockholm pretty much um yeah that's about it perfect and Jonas, do you want to tell us about yourself all right yeah um so my name is Jonas, born and raised in on the west coast of Sweden in Gothenburg, which is where I currently live as well. I am a software engineering manager at a company called Huga, where we help companies grow by supporting them with software in a wide range of areas stretching from digital signatures to HR, accounting to systems within public transportation, logistics, and so on. Uh, and my passion, well, in short, my passion is building empowered product teams. 
coaching people, helping both people, teams and and products to grow, basically. Amazing. Thank you all so much for introducing. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now that we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or statement on building a tech dream team. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's start with Chris. I've got your question here, which is, do teams and products benefit if the dream team is not a constant, but more shifting members, depending on capabilities needed for the product lifecycle? Tell me where this question comes from. Yeah, sure. Um, so in all teams, or pretty much 99% of the teams I've been working in uh, is, have been static teams. Uh, so the team is, is put together and the mission is assigned. Uh, we go after and develop the products or, or service that we are set to do. But recently, uh, I was in a team where we changed that and that had a tremendous result. Uh, so that was quite of an insight for me to look at how, in what phase are we right now and adjust the kind of people in the team uh, to that phase. So that's pretty much the context to that uh, observation. Perfect. And Mies, go mm. ahead, tell us tell us what your thoughts are on this. Mm. Yeah, I'm a bit, uh, I'm a bit, uh, I'm, I'm super interested in it because I, I, my mentor that I used to have when I was working at School of Applied Technology, his name was uh, Marcus Hammerberg. Um, he he was always talking about the, the, what what is it now, forming, norming, storming, and then performing phases of a team. Uh, mm. And it was one of one of one of his key things that he taught me, and the, one of the key things that I'm like really focused on when I'm uh, meeting a new team now. So uh, mm -hmm. from my perspective, every time you take someone out of a team or every time you add a new person into a team, uh, it's a new team. Uh, so my question is, uh, was there a constant core team that used uh, separate functions to get the uh, specific things done or was it actual team members being uh, replaced? Uh, interesting question. Um, so the core team, as you have observed, was intact. Um, so there was kind of the, the lead front-end developer, uh, lead back-end developer, um, but then we shifted uh, team members depending on uh, what kind of, um, I know I'm leading the sub-question here, but uh, anyway. So then we shifted that kind of uh, characteristics of, uh, what do you say, if you can divide the team into the, the super core team and then you have the kind of the core team and then we kind of have a, the extended team with uh, stakeholders and the business stakeholders or technical stakeholders or whatever. Um, so, for example, if um, um, in the beginning where you need to do a lot of ideation, you know, running design thinking workshops and that kind of stuff, I saw it was very, very beneficial to have uh, individuals that are dynamic and easy to to 
to uh, take on new ideas, to accept the new ideas. Um, and later on, when the product matured, it was much, much more beneficial to have team members uh, that was, you know, uh, that you can lean on, uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with this. Um, what you said, Mason, because mm. also I, I also I'm a big fan of uh, Brute Tuck, uh, Tuckman's uh, model, the four stages, and I, mm. I uh, talk about this essentially. And and uh, it takes time. It takes uh, the research Susan Wheeland in this. Uh, I think she looked mm. at 400 teams, and out of 400, one made it to stage four, high performing in in six months. Most often mm. it takes over 12 months. So once you have work your way through, that, it takes time. You need to really be mm. Uh, working towards that, you want to keep it there. So the saying is like, you you move the work around, not the people. Uh, and for me, the, the core uh, team is the TPD or EPD, engineering, uh, uh, product and uh, design. Uh, that's a that's a, a product team for me. And then you will have people coming in at Typically, you have a data scientist join for a while, or you might have mm -hmm. various disciplines of design. Uh, mm -hmm. sales, marketing, all those things, they come and go. But if the core is mm -hmm. big enough and, and it can last, I think they say like up to 50% the team can manage for that sliding back in, in the stages. But hopefully then mm -hmm. when they've been up to four, they can come up there again. So I agree with that. Yeah. Um, and it's also depending on uh, the mission of the team. Uh, when I was at Spotify in 2017, I we looked at Spotify model and, and my observation was that the model is, uh, and I was told, is partly optimized for uh, hypergrowth. So you can spin up and spin down squads, teams, uh, but then you, you you lack this, right? So if you look at this like a, a matrix with the uh, variability in in the mission uh, and also growth, uh, you're going to expand the company. And I would definitely, uh, if, if there's a platform team that has a long-term view or vision or mission, uh, you probably don't want to move things around too much. If you're a growth team working at growth hacking, you probably want to mm. try for different things from quarter to quarter, month to month. So it depends, I would say. Like it's always that, it depends. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely, I agree with you. Jonas, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying here. Um, and I do believe you can bring a lot of value into a team by bringing new members in, depending on the expertise that you need at the, that point in time. Because that could also bring a fresh perspective into the team, not only expertise-wise, but a new person also brings a fresh perspective on things and can foster innovation and things like that as well and bring out some new ideas. Uh, I do think you need a strong core team, so to say, so you can have Perhaps mm. some roles and some people that are more dynamic. I guess it all depends on what you're building and what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, but a strong uh, core team would you have a clear sense of like why and what you're building. Uh, if you want to build something that lasts in the long run, something that is maintainable and scalable, mm. so to say. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you because it's 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 important also that the core team uh, they have a lot of knowledge. Uh, background knowledge about the legacy where you come from so if you keep that uh, the team tend to be much faster instead of using documentation or you you need to have uh, another round of meetings or workshops to uh, go back in time to understand why that decision was taken for example yeah definitely perfect matthias what are your thoughts? Oh, you're, you're muted now, Matthias. <laughs> Sorry. Classic. Uh, no, the, the, uh, what I was going to say is the, the, um, you build it, you own it, you run it. Uh, so over time also someone has yeah. to own what we're building. If you constantly have a, a, a revolving door with people who 
don't have the long-term ownership that's going to uh, make mm. the products suffer over time yeah, so yeah, ha having, having a team that feels this is our uh kind of creation and we, we're really really proud of it and we want to make it live long and, and prosper mm. perfect and we'll go on to the next question then um Mies, I've got yours here. So how do you maintain a good culture during times of high pressure? Where does, what's the context behind this? Yeah, so the, the context behind this is that I, as opposed to um, most of you at least, ha have a background within uh, pretty much only startup environments, like startup and scale up like up to 50 employees. Uh, and mm. I've never really been a part of a, a, a larger company uh, like Volvo, for example. Uh, and mm. <clears throat> in times of or in times of uh, or at a startup uh, it's usually pretty chaotic and the objectives aren't always super clear and the the things that i've found uh, that work in that environment might not work in a larger scale environment so i'm i'm really curious to hear uh, what your guys thoughts are on uh, fostering a culture where people actually feel good and are able to perform even when the uh, pressure mounts. Will I start? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. So uh, my initial thought was this, like, I mean, lead by example. So as a team leader or as a team uh, product manager, uh, you should be able to handle uh, pressure and take on that kind of pressure for the team, which gives the team uh, the confidence uh, and the tranquility or the, 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 the calm for them to actually focus on the task at hand. Uh, but it's a balance also. I mean, you don't want to have a team that is feeling too comfortable either. Uh, so, um, but I could, for me, it comes down to leadership. I, I agree with that. It's definitely yeah. a, a lead by example. And, and another question to ask yourself is, why is it so, uh, why is the pressure high? And quite often it's because of us, the leaders, uh, not doing our job properly. We, we create that environment. Uh, and especially if we're kind of too tactical instead of being strategic. Uh, I always like the, the foundation is the, the company values. If they are sound and, and you live them and breathe them, that's that's like a um, one support ground. And then you have mission vision. So when teams have, they have a lot on their plate, but they know that this is where we're heading instead of the high pressure being, here's 20 things I want you to finish by Friday. That mm. kind of pressure I, I found very challenging. But if it's more like we're going that over there and we know why, and we know we have to be there by Friday uh, and we're going to work hard to achieve it, that kind of pressure is normally better, easier to handle. And then it's also, you can't constantly have a high pressure. You have to have a decompression time after a, uh, a kind of mad dash to get a product release out or something. So knowing when it's time to also kick back and enjoy. Because if you're in the constant, uh, one of the values Spotify has that I really like is uh, playfulness. And that is basically because you, uh, they know that if we have a playful environment, a lighthearted instead of solemn, uh, you will be more innovative, you will be more creative. And if you're in constant pressure, like to deliver something, you're not going to be creative or innovative. You're just going to be a, kind of this ticket monkey doing things that you've been told to do and not think, think uh, uh, innovate, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Actually, uh, one of my key keywords that I try to think about in 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 times like that is trying to maintain uh, the excitement in the team and and like fostering a culture where it's okay to talk about the challenges and it's okay to talk about the stressors at the current time uh, and 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 really being transparent as a leader in 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 that. Yeah. yeah, and also uh, another perspective on that question is also uh, the individuals in the team 
are a mix of uh, introverts and extroverts. And so you have to respect and balance the energies and the pressure depending on what kind of individual you are. Um, so you have foster a culture of uh, uh, still, still. I mean, everyone should be happy with their work, of course. I mean, we the hopefully the company has tried a lot to to hire those people, so we have to be uh, careful about them. Um, yeah. So there's many many considerations being a team leader, uh, making a team perform. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think as Christoph said, lead by example. I agree that. It- a lot of it comes down to good leadership, especially if you're talking, if you feel like you have the issue where there is a constantly high pressure, um, then definitely look at the leadership and how how you're running things. Uh, but workload can always vary over time, of course. It might be a t- tight deadline, it might be miscommunication on expectations, bug in production, unforeseen consequences, or whatever it might be. Things like that always happens. Uh, but what I find is interesting when it comes to the, like the high performing teams in situations like this, um, from my experience, how the team behaves under pressure also tells a lot about the the uh, culture within the team, like the sense of urgency and ownership and things like that. Might sound a bit odd, but I've, I tend to enjoy when things go wrong from time to time because it's quite interesting to see how the team reacts as well. Like imagine you deploy something to production, everything seems perfect, seems fine, perfect. You got another flawless release. Um, then all of a sudden the monitoring starts uh, alerting left and right, and you realize, oh crap, something is really off here. <laughs> In situations like that, you're seeing how everyone like swarms around the issue, sits together, try to figure it out, while still having feeling a sense of calm within the team. Like, we got this. Uh, I love that part about it. Uh, I think that that part is actually really fun. And that is one of the things I feel sets like the team culture and the team to the test as well, to see where we're at and see yeah, that we help each other out to solve these kind of kinds of issues. So no blame game, no panic, just focusing on solving the issue at hand. That's a really great perspective. Sure. I, I actually, I'm like you there, Jonas. I really actually enjoy bugs in production because it kind of uh, tightens the team <laughs> in a way. We, you have to, everybody has to stop what they're doing and focus on the thing at hand. So you've got like yeah, five definitely. or six people just ra- around one monitor looking at the same issue. Yeah. Um, and, and That's a quote, and you know that. I love bugs in production. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I also when you get bored, you create one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But but I also think that that's such an important thing as a as a software leader to to kind of mm. allow for that to happen uh, to to mm. create an environment where someone accidentally uh, breaking something in production isn't the end of the world. Where you where you uh, well you mentioned the blame game and and uh, and, and and stuff like that. And it's mm. uh, yes, so important to uh, remain relaxed and to remain kind and inviting and and excited about solving the bug instead of the other way around um, yeah. yeah a good proof of what kind of culture the uh, the team has is that whenever that bug happens uh, if everyone on the team voluntarily stays and say let's fix this that's one type of culture the other culture is well, it's back end. I'm front end. I'm going home now. Yeah, exactly. I didn't break it, so <laughs> see you guys. <laughs> it also ties back to what you said in the beginning, Mish, but um, 
the, the, what stage the team is in. In the stage one mm. team, everyone might stay late and, and help them buy the coffees and help the person who might be solving the problem. Mm. Um, in yeah. storming, there may be a good luck, mate, I'm off uh, to mm. a high performing team. It might be that, hey, uh, you're the expert, uh, or you two. We're on our phones. Whenever you need us, just call us. But uh, yeah, you can you can mm. have us. They, they they will be okay. They know that this is uh, mm. their their time to to fix. And but next time is mine. So it, it mm. also it ties back yeah. to the, what what type of team we have and and what stage. So. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. No, some really good insights on that. Um, and I love that that the way that you look at the problem, Jonas. Um, like me said, it's just it's such a positive way to tackle um things like that. Um, we'll move on to the next question. So, Matthias, I have yours. Um, so, it's in your experience, what's more critical when building a tech, a tech team? I'm going to start that again because I keep stuttering. Sorry, guys. Um, so, Matthias, I have your question. Um, in your experience, what's more critical when building a tech team? Ensuring each member has the top-notch technical skills required or making sure that they align with the company's culture and values? And how do you strike a balance between the two? Tell me the context behind this. Yeah, it's it's different companies are working in different cultures. Like in finance, it's very much about what you know and what you can, what schools you've been to. I talk about in London, the finance industry there. Um, and uh, at Klarna, for, uh, sorry, at Spotify, um, uh, I, I, one of the first things that met me when I walked in, first day, first uh, meeting with the HR person who introduced us, I can't remember the name, but she said this thing, and I always remember it. It's like, uh, there's three things listed. The first one was, uh, we don't hire the best, we hire what's best, uh, what's right for Spotify. And that, that really shocked me after 20 years working in in an in industry that doesn't say that. It's like, wow, that, that, that this might be one of the things that make this place special. Another one was, uh, uh, we have a big problem with uh, imposter syndrome. Don't worry, you 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 passed into you, you're here. That's fine. Don't 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 um, hesitate. And then we embrace failures, those three. But the first one, I was I thought that that was said something about the company. Mm. Um, yeah. So what's what's your take? Sure. Um, I'm first out again. Um, <laughs> I think uh, coming back to being a leader, you have to be able to have two things in your head or three things in your head simultaneously uh, to to kind of balance those. Uh, but also, I see a a, or I have noticed it, a kind of a to say, I tend to see it at, at senior developers. Uh, they they have have an easier uh, easier way to 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 look more holistically uh, in these kind of questions, while junior developers tend to lock into uh, specific problems, for example. So I think that's coming back to being a team leader again. Uh, I think uh, you say me about being a coach and a coach and a mentor and and lead by example and and help to make people develop also i also, also uh, think it's you know uh, skills are are usually one thing and at least the way i see it uh, the technical competence is uh, secondary to the cultural or in in the question it's uh, uh, culture for the or align with the company's culture and values but I, I, in i'm assuming you mean or mean or it, that the the team culture and values are are equally important and uh, I, i've 
<clears throat> during my time at SALT when I, I mentored a total of 30 teams, the biggest deciding factor for which teams and which people in those teams performed was never really the technical competence coming into the course or the technical competence during the course. It was usually their ability to collaborate and take care of each other during times of you know, high pressure or uh, with bugs in production or whatever it was, was usually the the things that push teams forward as opposed to uh, pulling them backwards, which usually happened when you had one person in the team that was uh, extremely technical, but maybe wasn't so helpful or, or wasn't uh, communicative or wasn't able to um, mentor the others in the team and created kind of a culture where, where you went to this person to ask them to solve the problem uh, instead of solving it as a group or instead of solving it yourself. Um, and when whenever someone wasn't performing up to his or her standards, then they were kind of blamed. And and uh, so so in my yeah. head, culture is everything, and and communication is everything. Jonas, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with the everything here. Like I do do feel like the technical skills or having top-notch technical skills some come secondary. Of course, it's highly beneficial if you're. Um, top notch on the technical side uh, but at least from my experience uh, that part has been easier to learn over time as well like if you have a real mismatch when it comes to uh, the culture and values for for a, a person uh, that can create a lot of friction within the team um, so i do think that part is super important but of course it's always a balance you can't be way off in your skill set either uh, you can only be uh, out on deep water so far, so there's of course a balance there. Um, but I've, I've seen examples where we have where we have people with extremely high technical skills and know-how uh, that leaves the team for one reason or other. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see those cases as well. At first, the team can kind of panic at a start, like how will we manage without this person? But then once this person leaves, you also see other people within the team stepping up and growing a lot from that. So I think that part is really interesting as well. When you have people with like really high technical skills within the team, you kind of get, it's easy to get very dependent on a specific person as well in some use cases. Um, so I think the team is the sum of all its parts. So I think you need to look at the broader picture for the team and see in what areas you are lacking. Like, okay, it's, is it technical skills that we're lacking? Okay, great. Is that something we can learn or do we need to bring someone in that has that competency or an, is an expert within that area? Um, or is it more about soft skills? Perhaps someone who ties the team together, builds and contributes to the team spirit, and perhaps enjoys being around and engaging with other teams and other parts of the organization. I, I lost I track there. Uh, <laughs> I had a thought based on your, uh, uh, like when you were talking about um, uh, someone leaving the team. And I think it, that if you have a super technical person in your team um, and the team is kind of, even even though the culture is uh, great with that person, uh, sometimes that person will leave for whatever reason. They might find a new job or a new role within the company or wh whatever the reason. You can kind of see that as uh, a bug in production. Right, so uh, at first everybody's like, "Oh no, how are we go? How the hell are we going to deploy things from now on when this guy isn't here anymore?" And uh, oh shit, we, all the stuff that he used to do was uh, incredible, and we could never <laughs> do that. Uh, and, uh, and then, 
you can usually just uh, smile and nod and, and tell them that everything's going to be fine. And then a couple of months later, you notice that someone in the team has stepped up to take that position themselves and has become mm. that person for the team uh, or they've done it as a collective or, you know, um, something. It's, uh, that's really great. I think. No player is bigger than the team. My first manager in London used to say to me. Uh, not to me personally. I think it's uh, for me. It's also about the, when you hire or you, what you interview for is talent. So you have talent, skill, knowledge, and technical uh, awesomeness is typically a skill. There's also a talent element, obviously. But you really want to go for the find the right talent and the mindset. But then the risk is also that if you go culture fit instead of culture add, you might just uh, stay in the same place. I, when Jonas and I both worked at Volvo recently, and uh, I came in there to transform uh, a very kind of prestigious old company to a software company. That was what what the mission was when we came in. And then we have to hire people who are different from maybe what's there today. And that's, that can cause friction and, and process. I, and, and also, I think I've made pretty big mistakes in uh, more in the past. Like I've been a manager for like 15 years. Uh, uh, and I really uh, overemphasize on technical skill and kind of treat the other one as nice to have almost. Uh, but I still did make mistakes uh, uh, at Volvo and other places where you might, okay, I went for technical prowess rather than is this the right person for the environment? Um, my question is, do you, have you had any uh, recent mistakes without saying too much? Like, and what did you learn from that? And how would you make sure you not do that same thing next time? What's, what's your kind of checklist for that? How do you know, basically? <laughs> We all make make mistakes. Uh, oh yeah, that's part of the learning process as well, of course. Yeah. Um, Maybe the, values for me is a word I like. And if you if you look at the, the company values, if you can see find an interview process that kind of find a match to the values, uh, and hopefully you have good values, then then you're kind of in the right territory. So the interview process and the, the scripts you use and so on will help. There. Sorry, interrupt. Yeah, no, no, no worries. Um, but yeah. Definitely. Um, there have been cases where I've been taking, going more to more the technical aspect of things, feeling like, okay, this person might be a perfect fit culture-wise, but we really need his technical know-how, um, which uh, in those cases where it's happened, didn't pan out too well in the end. Uh, you could def definitely feel the friction after uh, after a while that it didn't really pan out for the team. So yeah, there's... Um, Definitely that. So I think that part is super important to not skip that and just look at the technical side of things like, OK, we really need these competencies. So I think that part is super important. I think it's, good. I, mean, the, I think also it's it, it's a balance, you know, if, if a team is always going to be in the comfort zone or the safe zone, OK, then the result will also correlate to that. So, I mean, success also comes with failures. So there can't be only yes without no, because then we wouldn't have a yes, right? <laughs> so, so, so for me, when I lead teams, I tend to uh, often the team members have a strive or they are curious enough to, you know, foster. I, I would like to foster a culture where curiosity is naturally taken care of within the team, which leads to that they, the team members, are allowed to pursue certain things and it's okay if that thing doesn't turn out as we expected but we can learn something from it usually that that what we have learned from that kind of technical exploration uh, going deep into how 
Apple iMessages could work in, uh, in that application, for example. Usually sparks other kind of innovative ideas along the road. So I think it's a necessity to, uh, you know, once in a while hit the, hit, hit the wall, go back, tell the team, I did this, it didn't work because of this. Very good, thank you. I will, I've written all this down since I was. <laughs> thank you. Perfect. There's some really great ideas there, guys. And yeah, Matthias, I hope it helps like with your future future strategy strategies with hiring so um I, I, i've just finished all my hiring today uh, in, in the current <laughs> company so I, I have a fantastic team right now uh, i think one of the, one of the best I've, I've assembled so oh, I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm good for now but for next time definitely <laughs> <laughs> well i'm looking i'm looking forward to hearing um how how the future project goes really um but last but no but not least, obviously, um, Jonas, we have your question. Um, so how do you foster a culture where failure is seen as a learning opportunity? Tell me what are your thoughts behind that? Um, yeah, I've seen it in multiple companies throughout my years, and uh, it's really easy to get comfortable with the things that you currently have and how things are run and how you currently do it. Uh, and I think we can all agree that in order for us to kind of learn and grow, we need to uh, be comfortable with failing to some extent as well, to try out new things, try out new uh, techniques, whatever it might be, uh, build a new product or whatever it might be. But I think there, there's this old quote from an old Italian novel, I think it is, that captures it pretty well. If you want things to stay as they are, things will need to change. So the idea behind mm. that quote is that change is sometimes necessary <laughs> to preserve the status quo. So um, I think that one captures really, really well. Mm. So how do you foster a culture where people like dare to take risks uh, within reason, of course, uh, and where you can when where failure is seen as a learning opportunity, stepping out into the unknown and without the fear of failing. Go ahead, Matthias. Um, well, I think the foundation is uh, psychological safety and making sure that uh, you you, the, the, you feel safe to say and speak the truth. Uh, something went wrong and you will just own up to it. And the best way I know is to, again, like lead by example. If you're the leader of that organization team, whatever you, you start by telling people about your biggest uh, uh, cock up and what you, what you did. And, uh, or if someone say did something, then you're oh, that's nothing. You should have seen what I did and then tell you, tell them your worst uh, example. I'm very lucky because I have so many examples to share. So I never run out of examples <laughs> to, to do that. But uh, uh, I'm sure my previous employers don't agree with that, but uh, uh, it, it benefits in some, in some ways. Uh, but that, that's the thing really. This, create that environment by being the first person to talk about it. Um, and hopefully people then feel it's safe to, to follow. Yeah, and, and uh, it's something that I've uh, found that works really well for fostering a culture where people feel, you know, emotionally safe to make mistakes and not understand things is uh, also a mantra that I got from uh, my previous mentor, uh, Marcus. Uh, he, he, he taught me to, in every stand-up meeting in the morning, um, find something or, or gather the team and then make everybody repeat after you 
I don't know. Please explain. Um, <laughs> and, and doing it every morning kind of it sounds ridiculous, but once you get used to it and once you start doing it, it really also helps new people that join the team to realize that we're not, uh, there's no prestige in knowing everything. There's no, there's no shame in not understanding a, a specific part of the application that you're working with or a specific, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure setup or, or, you know, um, product market fit or whatever it might be. There's no shame in, in raising your hand and saying that you don't understand something that you don't know, because that's really just an opportunity for the people in your team to uh, explain it to you, which will in turn give them the opportunity to learn about the thing that you're talking about in a deeper way. So that's something that I've uh, really started doing in every company that I'm in. There's a great book uh, uh, by uh, David Marquis, the guy who wrote Turn Ship Around, it's called Leadership as Language. Uh, I always rave about this. And that's exactly about how we uh, create, how, by how we ask questions or how we speak, uh, we create the uh, safe environment for people to dis, um, disagree or, or raise concerns. Uh, the example in the book is very, very good about a ship that goes down in a, in a bad storm with the crew lost of all hands. And, they can actually look at a recording from that uh, bridge. And uh, yeah, I, I, won't, I won't spoil the book, but it's a really good read about that. Excellent, thank you. I will read it. Yeah, definitely gonna check that out. I've already yeah. made a note. <laughs> yeah, good, I, I'm gonna need to name the book. <laughs> Perfect, well, I really appreciate, obviously, all the insights and, and ideas that you guys have come up with. Um, with that as well, Jonas, uh, I absolutely love that statement. If you think things need to stay the same, something needs to change. I've made a note of it. I'm going to like pin it around the office everywhere. Um, <laughs> but no, I really appreciate it. Some great ideas. Um, and hopefully this can kind of add value to your guys' teams as well um, from some of the stuff that you've learned today. Um, before we end the podcast, I'd love to say thank you so much to you all for, for sharing your thoughts. Um, so our, our participants have been Mattis Alton, who's Chief Product Owner and Deputy CEO at Hoops, Chris Tordian, who's Lead Product Manager at Liminal Discovery. We have Mies Mandoki Cirillo, who's the Head of Development at Garrison Consulting, and Jonas Wenzel, who's Software Engineer and Manager at Hogia Group. If you are hiring for any new technical roles or looking for a new role, um, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Georgia Benton, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at georgia.benton at evolution-nordics.com or even visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash Nordics. Thank you so much to all of our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.